Well, good morning. I'm James Foster. I'm one of the pastors here at Wells Branch Community Church, and I'm so excited to share the word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 4, which is on page 1012 in your pew Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And while you do, um, we're in week two of our series about community. Uh, And if you see these humongo letters, it says unity. Uh, And unity is really important because uh, it's something that we have to fight for. Uh, if, if we don't fight for it, our default is going to be to be divided. Our default is going to be to be at ends with each other. So we have to fight for unity uh, because it's beautiful, because it shows that we are different in Christ, that we've been uh, a new creation, that we've been remade. And um, unity is a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a big way that we witness to a world that we are uh, made new. And we witness to them and we call them into this unity with us. Amen. So as we do this, uh, you guys know the drill. If you have questions, there's a number at the bottom of the screen. Those will be answered on Pastor Plex podcast, which releases on Tuesdays and on Thursdays. Pretty exciting. Send in your questions there, and we'll we'll answer those tomorrow morning uh, and then release it the next day. Um, So we're talking about community. We need to be in community. We have to fight for it. Uh, Honestly, there's there's probably somebody you could be mad at every day, right? (laughs) There's, there's somebody that you could, you could beef with literally every day because we're, we're sinful, right? We're sinners and we're messed up and we've got these hearts that want to uh, be divided. And, and literally, there's, you could find something to, to pick out and to be divided over literally every day. And so you have to decide, is this the life that I'm going to live? Is this the trajectory that I'm going to go, go down? Or am I going to fight for this thing of unity? Am I going to fight for this thing of community uh, that's going to be beautiful? Um, one way that this kind of played out for me this week, an opportunity that I had, uh, was with our, our glorious pastor, Pleck. Uh, so so one, one thing I'll say with this, the easiest people to be mad at would be like your boss, right? Would be like people that you work closely with, uh, your spouse, your boss, uh, your family members. It's easiest to be divided with them. Um, so this week, I had an opportunity that I had to make a decision of, am I going to be divided over this thing or not with Pastor Pleck? Uh, and what it was is, is he, he told me uh, a few weeks ago to order some gospel tracks. So I got like 25 packs of a bunch of great ones like, You Are Not Alone, Who Is Jesus, I Am The Way, The Truth, and The Life, 316, The Numbers of Hope, like all these, these great ones, like 12 packs of these. And, and we, we got them, we look at them on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and Chris is like, oh man, these are all awful. <laughs> like like those, are, those are all bathroom tracks. And what Chris meant is the, these are the kinds that you like take into a stall and you just leave them there and you just, okay, Lord, you got it. You got it from here. But, but what I heard is they're crappy, right? They're, they're terrible. They're, they're uh, equated with, you know, refuse, the, the, the bad stuff. So I was like, this is, this is not going to go well. I've got an opportunity to decide, uh, is it personal? No. It. Chris and I both want to see many people come to know Jesus. We want to have tools that equip our people to share that, that gospel with them. But there's an ability in me to say, oh, that hurt when, uh, when I'm offended. And there's an ability to say, okay, I'm going to make it personal. So we tend to isolate from community when we protect our position. Like, hey, aren't I entrusted with this evangelism ministry? Shouldn't I really be uh, like calling the shot here? Uh, if we want to protect our space, we're going to be in a place of isolating, of saying, I'm going to build a wall between me and this person. Um, 
oftentimes if we want to uh, preserve our pride, like, oh, I'll just hide that it hurt me. I'll hide that it was a problem. Um, We're going to isolate from community because we want to not show that vulnerability because we don't want to give an opportunity for them to hurt us more, right? So sometimes we want to preserve our pride. Uh, And so you can either dig in and say, no, like this is a thing that I'm worth, I'm fighting over. Or you can humbly yield and say, you know what? I agree. I don't actually love any of them either, right? Um, And so when we have this, uh, the, other, the other reason that this can happen is if we want to pursue our passion, like this passion, like I want to be the best evangelism guy. I want to be the best evangelist. And you know what, Chris, you've led more people to faith than me lately. So I'm just, just bitter and I'm jealous. And this thing in me is just coming out, right? That's a problem if I want to pursue that passion so much that it's dividing the community of God. Amen? Amen. And this happens at work. Right? This happens with us at work. Uh, when, when we want to protect our position, we don't want people coming in our lane, we're going to push them out. When, when uh, we want to preserve our pride, we, we want to show that we are the best. Like We can't have rivals. We can't have other people succeeding around us because they're taking away from our glory. They're taking away from our opportunities. So we push them out and we isolate from them. But the community of God should be different than the rest of the world. And so... Um, I love the book of James, not just because I'm named James, but I, I love it because it's so practical. It's so practical. There's, there's so many things in here. Uh, like if any of you ask, wis- lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given to him. If uh, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's like so much practical goodness of like how to be a decent person, <laughs> but how to be uh, a Christian that really reflects God in his uh, goodness. We should be doers of the word and not hearers only. And, and what James is doing here is he's calling out this dispersed church, this church that's been spread out all over. Um, they're isolated. And he's calling them out, calling them to live at peace with one another. And that's what we're going to be looking at in James 4, 1 through 10 today. Um, and so let's pray and we'll get started. God, you're good and you're gracious and you show up in ways that we can't even um, fathom. Lord, we know that your will for our lives is for us to be at peace with one another. But we've got uh, pride and we've got issues and we've got beef and we've got these things that, that well up in us and cause us to be divided. And we don't want that to be the case. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us some very practical help in how to not be divided and how to fight for unity uh, and how to choose humility over hostility. Lord, we need you for that. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he starts off with a great question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are you guys not getting along? It's this, that your passions are at war within you. You've got overgrown passions. Your desires for things in this world have uh, become idolatrous. They've gotten out of hand, and that has uh, caused issues. Um, what I love about this verse um, in like a counseling, can I put on a counseling hat for a second? Uh, in a counseling setting, if, if you're at odds with somebody, ask yourself, what, what's causing this? Uh, it, you've got some passion that has grown out of its place. It's grown to be something that it shouldn't. What are you really wanting out of that situation? If you're saying, uh, okay, I really want, um, I'm really frustrated that, uh, I'll just say, Katie, Katie says, okay, I'm really frustrated that you're on your phone right, right now, okay? Maybe you're on your phone when you're, you're supposed to be having family time. If, if you're communicating, hey, I'm frustrated that you're on 
the phone, that might sound like nagging, right? But if you're communicating something more like, um, hey, I really want you to be present and with the family right now because it's important. I want you to be in this moment with us. Then that's a completely different tone and it's a completely different approach and it's going to incline my heart to say, oh, that's not nagging. She wants me to be a part of this moment. I want to, I want to be a part of this moment too. I'm inclined to then move to peace with, this, uh, with that person uh, when you're, you're able to communicate that way. Um, so we have these desires that are overgrown. These desires that are at war within us, they're causing us to be uh, irritable people, right? And so these passions that are at war within us, uh, they cause us to desire and not have, which leads to murder. Very extreme example, James. Um, but but the, that, mur- that desire that's unchecked will lead to a place of envy, a place of like hating people, a place of murder. That's the, the logical end of that desire if it's overgrown and unchecked. You covet. There's this envy happening, uh, and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Um, there's this rivalry issue that's happening within us. And then the, the other big issue is you do not have because you do not ask. So all this stuff, you're looking at other people, you're mad at other people, but you're not praying to God about it. You're more obsessed with what's going on in the world around you than with bringing that to your God. You don't have because you're not asking. And even when you do pray, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. God's not going to answer that prayer. He's not going to give you that thing because it would ruin you. And so when that, when you're, a, a question you could ask is, how would God's kingdom advance if this prayer was answered? And if you don't have a good answer for that, then it's probably a selfish prayer. And so, um, I love James that he, he doesn't pull any punches. You adulterous people. You are sleeping around with other, you're worshiping other things. It's a problem. I'm going to just call you on it right here. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't love the world and love God and be perfectly the same. Your heart, it, there's, a, there's a war going on for your heart. Are you going to belong to God? Are you going to be his? Or are you going to love things in the world and orient your life in a way that you could have and enjoy more of those? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world is not neutral. We're prone to wander. We're prone to love the world. Do not love the world. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? God is jealous for our affections. He made you. He loves you and he wants all of you. And so we have to identify these uh, passions that have grown out of place and we have to put them to death. We have to identify where this thing has become an ultimate thing that we're worshiping and we have to kill it so that we can live at peace with one another. So... Uh, the first point is very simple. Disordered passion divides. When we have a passion that has grown into a place of an idol, it's going to divide us. We have to choose between hostility and humility. We can't kind of have both. If we want to love the things in the world, if we want to love ourselves and kind of set our lives up to serve ourselves, then we are going to uh, be at odds with others. And so um, what I'm excited to do today is we're going to um, look at a couple of people in the Old Testament, uh, Saul, Jonathan, and David. 
And we're going to kind of see how this has played out in their lives because they're actually great pictures of three routes that we could take. Um, and, And where we're jumping in is going to be on page 241 in your pew Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, But we're jumping in right after David has killed Goliath. Uh, David is like the sweet, uh, he's got the instrument he plays, and he's able to dispel the harmful spirit that's harassing Saul. And so there's this exciting thing uh, that David's able to do in in serving him and helping him. But Saul is, he's getting very, um, he's getting very, irritable. He's getting very fearful because the the presence of God he knows has left him and he sees the presence of God on David and so there's this problem of rivalry. He wants what David has. He sees the writing on the wall. He sees that his time as a king is coming to an end and that David is on the rise and he can't handle it. Which is very similar to what James was talking about and very similar to what we experience today. So we see this. uh, David and uh, had just killed Goliath. They're, they're rolling back into town, um, and Saul's greeted with this welcome parade, uh, and it's these women singing this song. They're singing to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and Saul was angry. This, this top 100 uh, hit right here, uh, it, was, it was just driving him crazy because they're ascribing to David ten times more than they're ascribing to Saul. And, and if he's 10 times better than me, he says, what more can he have but the kingdom? What else is he going to take from me? He's already taken my glory. He's taken the, the affection of these women. I should be adored by the people. And so Saul is insecure and he's angry. And, and it leads him to a place of increasing fear. Uh, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. That escalated very quickly that, that he's like, you know what, I, I can't handle this. I'm just going to throw a spear because he's grasping for straws, trying to, trying to pull it together. And instead, he just picks up a spear and throws it at him. He wants to take David out. Multiple times, he's going to try to pin him to the wall. David evaded him twice. It, it, it wasn't just one spear throw. It was two spear throws. Uh, and why is he doing this? Because Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. His insecurity welled up, his anger grew, um, and this rivalry led to a murder attempt. And, and we see continually in chapter 18, verse 15, when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. We see that he was afraid. We see that he stood in fearful awe. We see that Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's in, enemy continually. You can't be buddies with your rivals, Right? Uh, in, in high school, I had uh, no close guy friends because they were all rivals, because they were, they, were compete, they were competing with me. And there was, there was one guy who was especially my rival. Uh, his name was Daniel. And um, he, we played the same sports. We played the same positions, but he started, and I was l- like a sub, and I just hated it. Uh, he ended up like dating girls that I had dated or was going to date, and it was just, there, there was this rivalry that, that stirred up. And I didn't realize then what I realize now that, that I couldn't have healthy friendships with guys because they were all rivals. They were all eventually going to date the girls that I had dated, and I wasn't, I wasn't secure enough to handle that. So I, I just pushed them away, kept them all at arm's length. But don't, don't we all do that, right? Uh, we want people to get by, but we don't want them to get by us. 
We want to, we, we struggle with celebrating when God's doing great things in other people's lives because we want it for ourselves. And we say, but that could have been mine. God, why won't you answer that for me? And so insecurity isolates. Saul was isolated because of his insecurity. Uh, I could isolate because of gospel tracts because of insecurity. It's the same thing in high school today of this insecurity of saying, no, I know the best way. I'm the best evangelist. I can do it. You're just a competitor. (laughs) No, (laughs) nobody's competing. And and we we should be celebrating all of the gospel advancement that we see. And so disorder, passion will divide. Um, we have to know that um, inevitably God is going to uh, be able to work in us. He's going to be able to, to work these things out uh, with the gospel tracks. Uh, a little bit of resolution. You know, Chris, Chris was trying to be uh, consolatory, and he says, you know, we had to see all of those terrible gospel tracks to really know that we need to write our own. And so... We've been working on a, a way better one coming soon. Uh, we're ready to publish it, Crossway. Just uh, you can call us, um, and it's going to be good. But but we're going to be able to to share the gospel, and we're going to be able to celebrate that thing uh, when we're. But what I'm trying to say here is that disorder, passion could divide, or there could be this humble yielding, this place of okay, God. I want your will to be done. I know that being at unity in unity is, is going to honor you. Being in unity is going to uh, advance your kingdom. Let's do it. Come on. So we're going to continue. We're going to jump back to James 4, but we are going to go back to 1 Samuel, so, so don't, don't get too much whiplash with me. Uh, so James 4, we see, but God gives more grace. The first section was a lot of like tough stuff there, a lot of, a lot of difficult things. Um, what causes quarrels? What causes fights? What's the answer? Well, it's grace. For us to be a united community, we have to be a community that extends grace, a community that receives grace from God and extends it to others. But God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when I, when I think about this verse, I think of like a giant hand of God. Okay? And if, if I'm opposing God because I'm proud, I like picture his hand like pressed against me and I'm not going anywhere. Or his hand over me and I'm not going anywhere. But he gives grace to the humble. Or his hand could be beneath me, lifting me up. He's going to exalt the humbled. And so I want to be in a place where I receive that grace. God, give me that grace. I need that grace. I don't want to oppose you. I don't want to be resisting what your will is. I don't want to be resisting what your desire is. Give me that grace. And so if we're going to have any peace, we need God's grace first. But then James gives like 10 commands of ways that we can, uh, ways that we can submit to God. What does submitting to God look like? Well, let me give you 10 commands here. First one, submit yourselves to God. Willingly place yourself under him saying, hey, God, you're in charge. You're the king of this whole thing. You are in uh, all power, and I want to worship you. Resist the devil. We don't have to flee from the devil. We resist the devil, knowing that he has been defeated by Christ, right? Christ has defeated sin. He's defeated death by going to the cross, paying the price for our sin, being raised from the dead. And so we don't need to resist the devil, or we don't need to flee from the devil. We need to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. We are called to draw near to God. Uh, 
the classic quote on this, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, is that you're as close to God as you want to be. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. It's a conditional promise in scripture. And so draw near to him. Does he feel like he's far? Move to him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. It's a promise that we have in this text. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Here comes the, the, the boxing gloves are off. He's ready. Yeah, hey, if you're, he's talking to Christians in this letter. He throws in the word Christian, uh, sinners, um, because either you're Christian and you're sinning or you're, you haven't repented yet. The, the step for you to be uh, receiving this grace, the steps for you to be submitting to God includes repenting. You were going one way. It was bound for hell. You turn from that way. You follow him. Repent is what he's saying here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Uh, purify. Uh, where cleanse your hands is very external. Purify your hearts is very internal. Check your heart. Check your motives. Get them aligned with God. Command number six is be wretched and mourn and weep. Uh, six would be wretched, seven would be mourn, weep would be eight. Uh, these are all imperatives in the Greek, but so it's very clear there that he's saying, hey, you should be miserable because sin is that bad. And, and I think that a lot of times in church, it can be, we can be so quick to share the hope of the cross that we can miss uh, the, the miserableness of sin. We can, we can minim, almost minimize how terrible it is and the, the negative effects of sin in the world. And so he's saying, hey, sit with that. Like, like think about how messed up you are for a minute and like, actually like, process that. Don't just skip to the good part, right? Actually like, be miserable with how terrible sin is. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. He's basically saying, hey, we're not skipping past that we're actually processing how terrible it is. And for it to be sincere, like show that you're mourning and don't be joyful right now. If you're in a place of uh, being opposed and you're, you're confronted with that sin, there should be some actual lamenting that happens before you say, ah, I'm good, I, I, I forgive you, I'm good. We rush to the forgiveness, we rush to the grace of Jesus and we skip out on uh, actually processing, hey, this thing is terrible. And it grieves God's heart, and it's going to grieve my heart, at least for this moment. And so he says this, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves. Place yourself low, and he will exalt you. Uh, Tony Evans said it uh, this way. He said, uh, riding God's elevator to the top always starts with a ride down, <laughs> right? But, but I'm willingly placing myself low so that God could lift me up. And so what we see here is this, that humble peacemaking unites. It's the opposite of the disordered passions dividing. Humble peacemaking is going to unite us to each other. Um, these, these ten commands start with this unthinkable grace that God has extended to us. And he gives us so many practical ways that we can make peace with each other. But it's going to be work. We have to fight for that peace. And, and so... Um, I know that some of those like commands are kind of a lot and a lot. So a, a great picture of this we see in the Old Testament is Jonathan. Okay, so Jonathan is Saul's son, and um, he loved David as he loved himself. He he cared about David. He uh, he saw that God was doing something in David, 
he was the rightful heir, the next in line to be king. But he didn't hold on to that because he saw that God was doing something different in David. And so he said, I'm going to place myself low in order that we could have peace here because a divided kingdom isn't going to help anybody. So I'm going to, I'm going to place myself low in this unthinkable way so that we might be together, so that we might be united, so that not just uh, David and Jonathan, but the whole Israel as a whole. That was Jonathan's hope. And so what do we see? That Jonathan, uh, he made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And he stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. All of the, the royal kingly attire, he's saying, hey, David, this is yours. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live at peace with you. I'm going to make this covenant with you. Uh, we're together in this. And it's this beautiful, unthinkable uh, thing that he would place himself low in that way, uh, that he would make peace with David. And we, we see that humble peacemaking unites, that he was willing to um, advocate for David uh, when Saul was wanting to kill him, right? When Saul was ready to throw some more spears, when he was chasing him down, he was like, hey, David has only done you good. Like when you're tormented by this weird, evil spirit, he's playing the harps and it's the only way you're getting relief. He killed the guy who was threatening to, the Philistine Goliath, who was threatening to take over and conquer Israel. David's only done you good. Why are you seeking his harm? He's an advocate for him. And it even cost Jonathan in that Jonathan advocating for David would lead to him getting a, a spear thrown at him too. And Saul must have been terrible with his aim because uh, he missed him too. Um, which is probably why I needed David to fight for him, but we're not, we're not going there, okay? What we're, what we're talking about is how humble peacemaking unites. That, um, that when Jonathan would die later, David would remember him. That in scripture, there would be uh, this, this beautiful eulogy written of, of how great Jonathan was and how great his love was and how he uh, loved him with love greater than that for a woman. He had this special bond with Jonathan because he had fought with him because he, his soul was knit together with him. Humble peacemaking united them. Um, and I'm not a great example of this often. Um, I'll say, man, uh, Saturday? No, Friday. Just this past Friday, uh, I was playing a game, uh, a new game with my mother-in-law and my wife. And I, your, your family oftentimes gets to see the, the best of you no, they get to see the worst of you a lot of times. Um, and, and so uh, we're playing this new game, and we're explaining the rules, and maybe there's been a couple of explanations of the rules, and maybe there's, like, some patience that's starting to wear thin. I had the flu, all, I had the flu starting, like, a week ago, and it's been, like, a slow recovery. I, I don't know what the deal is. It was, like, a, a longer recovery, and so I'm just tired, and I'm trying to get through the game. Um, and, and I'm losing, and so, like, I'm just, it, you can see, like, this, like, weird immaturity, like insecurity stuff just emitting off of me as a person uh, because I want to win. I don't want to stay up later uh, and play a game that we have to explain the rules every five seconds on and, uh, and then still lose. That's a lot for me, right? I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a, I'm, I'm a finite man, okay? I'm limited. Uh, and 
and anybody who's done any sort of competitive thing with me has probably seen just a glimpse of this at least, right? Uh, so there's this thing in me that, that's like, hey, so, okay, my mother-in-law uh, played, and she, it was like a rummy-style game. She went out, and so I was about to get stuck with a bunch of points that I didn't want. Like, <laughs> points were bad in the game. And I said, at some point, we need to pl- start playing by the actual rules of the game. <laughs> And I, I meant it in a nice way of like, hey, like, this is cute, it's fun, but we gotta, we got to follow the rules at some point. Because she, she, she announced that she was going out after the next person, Katie's turn had started, and I was like, hey, that's a little far. She ended up letting us play the round without that, and I still got stuck with all the points. So the Lord, the Lord judged me in that at least. But in that moment, pride, this disordered passion, this game that I don't really care about, uh, was, was the ultimate thing of winning this game and getting through this thing. And, and it made the thing of relationships with my wife, relationships with my mother-in-law, le- lesser because I didn't care about unity. I cared about me and winning. And it's, maybe there should be more lamenting in my story, okay? <laughs> I'm working on it, all right? I'm, I'm working on the lamenting part, um, I did still manage to win the game, <laughs> but I ruined, I ruined the night, which is like, no, you didn't win. You, you won the game, but you ruined the night, and you ruined the experience for everybody else. You, you didn't win, okay? Um, so be better than me. That's the point of that story. Be better than me. Uh, don't be divided by your disordered passions. All right. So James is awesome. He, he does something else in James chapter 3 that I want us to pick up uh, before we look at how David uh, united through his humility. Uh, and what, what we see here is that there's basically two paths. There's two sources here. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good care, conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You can show by your good conduct this meekness of wisdom, you can show your good works. Uh, this is a way that we should live, right? Um, but there's these two problems that we've already talked about, and he talks about more in chapter 4, which we looked at already. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. The word for bitter here means undrinkable. Uh, when, it's, when it's paired with, uh, with je- bitter jealousy like that, it means harsh and resentful. If we're harsh and resentful, or if we're just looking out for ourselves, self-seeking, selfish ambition, um, that's going to divide, okay? So do not boast and be false to the truth. Uh, you're, not, you're not fooling anyone if you're boasting and saying, oh, I don't really struggle with that. That's not really my thing. Everybody else can see it, and we're often the last ones to see it when bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are stirring up in our hearts. And so the world would say, uh, hey, here's, here's the way to do it. And, it. and it provides its own wisdom. But that, this isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. It's un- earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Satan wants the church to be divided. Satan wants us to be mad at everybody for everything. He wants us to be easily triggered and easily pushing everybody away. We've seen that through COVID, that it's easier to be isolated. But God provides a better way. 
God provides a better way that we have to fight for, where we have to fight against this disorder, this chaos that comes from the ways of the world. We have to fight against every vile practice. When we see this in ourselves, we should lament and mourn over it. We should turn from it and say, hey, I don't want to be like that uh, the next time I play that card game. I want to be a little bit better, right? I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to turn from this, and I want to I have this better way. And what is the better way? He says, um, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's like, that's beautiful. I'm going to read it again. The wisdom from above is first pure. There's no ulterior motive. It's peaceable. You're making peace. You're promoting peace. You're gentle. You're willing to reason. You're willing to yield when you're in the wrong. You're open uh, to reason. You're full of mercy and good fruits. You're able to extend grace to others when they are uh, the jerk, when they, when they wrong you. You extend that grace willingly, joyfully. Impartial and sincere. There's this, this purity, this beauty there. You're not holding the grudge afterwards. And, and it leads to this harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness is going to flourish when we have a bunch of peacemakers working together. We're, we're going to be able to be united and enjoy that in a beautiful way that is a, a great witness to the world when we're united in that. And it's sown in peace by those who make peace. We see that David does this really well. Um, and so humble, humble peacemaking unites. It's simple. It's the same point. David does this really well. How does he do it? Well, uh, he's got this opportunity. 1 Samuel 24, he's got this opportunity to uh, avenge himself. He's got this opportunity to kind of take care of business. And he's got people around him that are saying, hey, this is it. This is our opportunity. Um, Saul has been literally on a manhunt for David, trying to kill him, trying to find him, trying to kill him. And uh, what happens? Uh, Saul came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and he went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So Saul needs to go number two. He goes right into David's hiding spot to do so. Uh, David has a chance of like, is this it? Is this what the Lord has been promising where I'm going to get to take him out, stab him in the back? And the guys are saying, hey, this is it. This is the day where the Lord has said to you, behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he, he goes and he cuts off a corner of his robe and he's convicted instantly of like, ah, this is God's anointed. Here I am taking actions into my own hands. Here I am trying to find vengeance myself, but this is God's anointed. I've been crying out to God, you are my refuge, you are my source of strength, but here I am trying to be my own strength. So there's this instant conviction. And what happens is Saul leaves the cave and David risks his life by going out to him. He cries out to him and he says, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. Some told me to kill you. I could have killed you, bro. I got your cut of your robe right here. But I spared you. I will not put out my hand against the Lord, against my Lord. And, and when he says my Lord here, he's talking about Saul. 
for he is the, the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to step out of place because my passion is overgrown. Instead, I'm going to say, no, I trust you, God. See, my father, the, the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I'm not coming for your throne. I don't want it. I want unity. I want peace. I have, I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of um, hiding in these caves. I want peace. I want our country uh, to be united as God's people, as we should, and we're not, and it's a problem. And so even in the face of Saul hunting him, he's able to, to try to make peace in a way that was risky, in a way that he was risking his life. And he says this, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. I'm not taking it into my own hands. I'm not taking it upon myself to get justice here. I'm trusting in my God. As a proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And so what we see here is that humble peacemaking uh, unites. This looks like uh, oftentimes taking a risk. Oftentimes, uh, this, this past week, I reached out to a friend and I said, hey, I just want to make sure that there's, nothing, there's no like, weird feelings between us. Uh, this is a friend I love, a friend that I cared about. Uh, the relationship's been a little bit different. Um, they, there have been some changes, and, and I was just like, I, I'm trying to talk about peace, and I'm convicted. I feel like I need to talk to you. Is there something going on between us? Because, like, I don't see it, but sometimes I don't see these things. And, like, like, this is me embarrassing myself, putting myself in a position of, like, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit emotionally unaware sometimes. <laughs> and, and I need your help to see it because I want to I wanna live at peace. I'm not okay with my uh, emotional unawareness or whatever uh, insecurity I might have getting in the way of my peace with someone else. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place myself in a position of, hey, I want to be at peace with you. Did I do something wrong? Because if I did, I, I want to apologize. I want to make it right with you. And much more than that, David risked his life to make peace with Saul, or at least to do everything in his power to make peace with Saul. And, and so, um, who's that person for you today? Who's that person in your life, that difficult person? Um, it could be your, your spouse, it could be your roommate, it could be your boss, it could be somebody in your workplace, it could be somebody in our church, it could be somebody in your community group, it could be somebody in your family, um, where every day they, they're doing something that's just pushing you over the edge. Imagine what it would be like if we were to have peacemaking conversations with them today if we were to, to choose humility over hostility? And, and that's really the, the question today is, are you dividing or are you uniting? Are you choosing humility or are you choosing hostility? Because it's easy to choose hostility. The world would say, hey, they did you wrong and they need to pay. But God would say, no, 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 no. I got this. Leave it, leave it to me to avenge you. And your job is to live at peace, to humbly make peace with others. It's going to take a lot of work, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be beautiful. It is beautiful. As, as awkward and as uncomfortable as it can be, it's beautiful to then have that peace come about in those relationships. And so um, all of this starts for us at the cross. And that, that if, you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, living at peace with one another... It, 
It doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe it's, it sounds nicer than uh, not living in peace, than, than kind of always being at war. But, but it has to start from this place of receiving that grace. The grace of God that he would stoop low that being perfect and seeing people that are separated from him for eternity because they don't have a way to be right with him because they can't achieve the standard of perfection. He saw and he had sympathy for us. He had compassion for us. And he said, I want to make a way. I'm going to send my son to live a perfect life that you can never live, to die the death on the cross that you deserve, to raise from the dead to defeat that sin, to defeat that death, so that anybody who would call on my name, anybody who would trust in Jesus Christ, could be saved. So if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, that's that's first. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want you to take uh, this time coming up before communion. We're about to have our communion team come up, and I want you to take some time, and if there's somebody you need to confess to, if there's somebody you need to make peace with, will you be the humble one today? Will you place yourself low so that we might experience peace as a church? God's doing amazing things here at our church. We've seen uh, a lot of people come to faith in the past few months especially. And a lot of that is is growing from the, the seedbed of humility. It's growing from the seedbed of calling out to God in prayers and we can't do this without you. It's growing out from this place of saying, God, we want our church to be united more than anything else. And we've seen you move and we've seen you do amazing things. But we know that you want your church to be united. We know that you want your church to be one. So we're going to fight for it. Let's pray. God, uh, we love you and we worship you and we are so grateful for all that you've done in our lives. We're so grateful for all that you're working on in us, all that you're working on through us, Lord, we need you. We pray that you would um, come in today, that you would uh, transform our hearts, that you'd help us to see your goodness, that you'd help us to see your love, that you'd help us to see your grace in a new way today. We need your help with that, Lord. We need you for that. Um, We trust you. We trust that you're good. We trust that uh, you're gracious. We know that you give us more grace. And right now, Lord, uh, as we are praying, I pray that you would convict us of the ways that we need to uh, confess today. I pray that, that we would see even more people come up for prayer today to confess their sin, to confess that uh, we fall short, Lord. And I pray that, that we would see this supernatural peace come about our church family that we would say, I, I want to set aside my rivalry. I want to set aside my bitterness. I want to celebrate when you when you move, God, because we want to see you move and we're desperate to see you move. We can't do anything apart from you. And so would you move in our church this morning? Would you help us to be one? We need you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news is that the thing that's getting in the way of our peace is, is just one thing. And the bad news is that it's you. It's, it's, each, it's it, within each of us, right? And, and it, it's within each of us to say, I've got this problem of pride that I've got to lay down. And as we place ourselves low, God is going to lift us up together.
how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's nothing I love more than seeing my kids love each other and play without beating each other up, without hurting each other. And God is the same way. There's nothing he loves more than seeing us get along and worship him together. The thing that gets in the way of that is our pride. So let's place ourselves low so that we can worship him. Amen. Church, you are called to be one. You are called to go and worship him together, to lay down your pride so that we can worship him as one. Go and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.